I'm Lindsay with Wild Root Flower Company. And I'm Shannon from Bloom Hill Farm. Over the last six years, we've leaned on each other as we grew our farms into the profitable six-figure farms they are today. We want you to join us each week as we have real, honest conversations about life and business. And we promise you'll leave feeling inspired and your farming toolbox will be filled with actionable strategies you can implement at any stage in your business. Learn from our mistakes as we talk business, marketing, and growing techniques to help you create the farm of your dreams. So let's roll up our sleeves and get the dirt on flowers. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Dirt on Flowers. Shannon here. Lindsay's here. Yes. 19. <laughs> episode 19. I know. I can't believe it. Did they're you think we would so make quick. it this long? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah they just, they're just <laughs> adding up quick. Of course I did. I just um, this is I'm picturing like episode three fifteen, like that's oh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. me too. That'd be yeah. great. Okay, so if we do one a week and there's fifty two weeks in a year, that's that's uh-oh. too much math. That's that's six years. <laughs> yeah, that's six years. Okay. Oh yeah. There's honestly, there's so much to talk about. I'm always, when I'm chatting with customers or even when Lindsay and I are talking about, it, we're like, oh, that would be a great idea for a podcast. So mm-hmm. you, we've really been loving your your all suggestions and it's been really fun. I know Lindsay posted something on Instagram this week and we got lots of good ideas from y'all. So thank you. Yeah. Lots of absolutely. good ones. So, so are we sick today- of Dahlia's? <laughs> Yes. Are you? <laughs> no. No, I just want to sell I them. I, well, I mean, I I'm tired of yeah. them. Yes. I'm tired of taking care of them. The mm-hmm. blooms are beautiful, but I'm just like, I'm kind of yes. ready for frost. Yeah. I think, you know, well, okay. It's, it's so hard because I'm loving – when it becomes hoodie weather in the morning when we get to wear a hoodie and you're like walking up to the barn and it's cool, that like revives me in a way instead of like the August heat where you just like – you step out of your air conditioning and you're like suffocated by the humidity. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Hoodie weather always like gives me an extra boost um, mm-hmm. that I need to get through the end of the season. But yeah, I mean we're nearing the end at, at least in our zone and, you know, I'm kind of like air quoting that because – we still do a lot when you put your farm to sleep is like a whole another job. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we're getting there. We made yeah, it. We are almost. I also liked. I like this time of year because you're starting to like we're clearing out the tunnels and some of the field mm-hmm. production so that we can put cover crop in. And I I actually wrote about it in my email this week, my newsletter, but I'm like, I feel like I can breathe deeper when the field is empty. Mm-hmm. You know, when you like clean out a closet and you're like, damn, yes, that looks, I mean, look at them folded <laughs> towels. It's going to be like that for a week. You know, it's like all this space and you feel like you can yes. move better in your house. It's like, that's how I feel yes. outside. And then, and you're right. You're like mm-hmm. in a hoodie and it's just nice. Yeah, there's just something magical about that time because it's like you feel like the craziness coming to a close and like part of it makes me sad. It's like I always like whenever the frost comes, I always like cry tears of happiness, exhaustion, sadness, you know, all of it. Um, I don't know. It's just bittersweet. But I just – farming is so fun because it's always a clean slate. And it's – for me, I like love – that clean slate. I love getting another chance to do better, to do it different. Mm. That is like 
that is what really gets me going. I love it. And yeah. we're nearing that time. Like I love the planning, planning of the winter and all of that. So uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, I agree. No, right. I feel the same way. Yeah. So part three, dahlias. Because I know we, we've got a lot of great feedback about part one, part two. And um, we put it out to you all that, hey, if you had any questions after you guys listened, what are they? And so we're just kind of going to have an episode just dedicated to some of the remaining questions that we received. Mm-hmm. And there's some yep. good ones. There are. And we kind of broke them up into some categories. We um, And mm-hmm. we actually thought we covered it all. And we're like... No, we didn't. I know. There's still a lot of questions we didn't get. We didn't. So today, I'm sure there'll still be some lingering mm-hmm. ones, but we'll cover that in episode 310. Um, so yeah. we broke this kind of down in some categories. So I'll start out. We're going to sort of rapid fire these. So they may not be like the most in-depth questions because there are quite a mm-hmm. few. But um, so some of them fall under pest and disease. We've got growing. There were some storage division propagation questions and then um, sales. And then I just said randoms kind of, that was our, one of our categories. So starting out with pest and disease, um, there was several questions about lots of disease and lots of, lots of pest questions, but powdery mildew was one of them, um, that was repeatedly kind of brought up that I saw. And so I'm going to, with this really powdery mildew could be, um, one, it could be your climate too, like our area, we're really prone to, um, we just have high humidity. I mean, it's just always like sort of a layer of fog around here. So airflow Mm -hmm. is really important to us. And that was one thing that I realized over the years that our spacing was too tight within our rows. So I wasn't getting good airflow. Also how I was, or like the beds were oriented. So I actually had them running, um, North and South. And so the back beds were getting powdery mildew because I wasn't getting good airflow. So we switched them to running east-west. So they're actually getting all of the breeze going down through every single bed. So that was just one thing where you have to sort of stay curious about, you know, like, oh, okay, why do I have this? And then learning about the powdery mildew. We don't spray anything with it. Um, Sometimes it's just the variety. Like there was – Yes. There was one that I grew – Ah, it was a little white one. It was so cute. It was like white aster or something like that. But I legit okay. like every time I grew it, it got powdery mildew. I was like, I'm done with you because then you just share it with your friends and I don't yes. want you to share it with your friends. Um, but also like if you're having issues with other insects, um, just consider soil health is something that is really important just so like us as as humans, I always use this reference, like back to myself, like, what do I need? You know, it's like water and nutrients and, you know, all those things. So you go back to the soil piece and, um, you know, healthier soil, healthier plants, they're less likely to get disease and insects. It still happens. Um, but that's really Mm -hmm. kind of the, the biggest one. Um, and I, you guys in episode 17 with you and Judd touched on pest control and some of those things. Mm -hmm. So, any of those questions we're not hitting, you can go back with episode 17 and listen to some of that. So, yeah. Um, one of the other pests and disease questions was about viruses and dahlias. So is like all the dahlia mania unknowingly spreading viruses. Um, we don't do like a ton of worrying about viruses. The main, the main thing that we look out for is crown gall. 
and Leafy Gall. Um, and Judd is super good at identifying that. And we just, if we see it at all, we get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So um, those are those are like the main like viruses, you know, that we keep an eye out um, for. But I don't know. I mean, I think you could really get in the weeds with this kind of stuff, overanalyzing your dahlia crop constantly. You know, it, does it have powdery mildew? Does it blah, 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 you know, it's like analysis paralysis. Um, I think that we have to have a certain level of tolerance for these things. When we see things that spread, we take care of them. We get rid of it. Make sure it does not touch in its friends. Um, we're not spreading it to other growers through tubers, that kind of stuff. So I think being vil- very vigilant on that kind of stuff is important. Um, but if it's something that you've got going on in your field, um, you know, I would just remove remove the plant and and move on. Keep trucking. So. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just to add into that too is that mm-hmm. I think sometimes that this is an identification issue, confusion mm-hmm. um, that where a lot of um, deficiencies, nutrient deficiencies, where you go back to soil health can look like a virus the way it shows yes. up, even if you've got like a little bit of variation in the um, mm-hmm. the leaf veins are showing up. So proper identification. Um, is important with that. So no, I don't. I, yeah, I don't think that we're really doing that. But I think you're right. You could just get like really lost and worrying yes. about it. And I don't think it's yeah. as big of a deal. Yeah. yeah. Personally. And I, I think if you have a, if you have like a widespread issue that's really affecting your crop, your local extension, I know here in Ohio, we have like a local OSU extension. A lot of time they employ pat plant pathologists that can analyze a sample for you. If you want to take it that far, there's lots of resources for you. Um, but generally I would just, you know, chalk it up as something that we have to deal with and kind of have a little bit of a tolerance level. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So growing, um, lots of fertilizing, staking questions and Judd Mm -hmm. did a killer job. The Judd weave, um, he (laughs) refers to that. So go back to episode 17. Um, so if we're not hitting again, some of this, just circle back to there. So overwintering in colder zones, do we have experience with that? So, um, (laughs) yes failed, but I will tell you why. Yes. Um, I, di- I didn't do much. Now, I do know that uh, some of our friends that are up in northern Ohio, they've had success in a colder zone than mm-hmm. myself. And they did uh, straw and plastic and um, agribon. They did all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were beautiful and great. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming still thriving. Um, but so I, I guess I can't speak to that a ton. I do know that it's possible. Um, but I do know it takes like extra layers of protection and I just sort of never wanted to, I, I just haven't, I, one, I want to sell the tubers and, um, you know, two, it was like, I just, some of the varieties, it's not even worth a risk where I have tried it is in our U-Pick and we just put a straw layer down, Mm -hmm. but I think they would have overwintered mm-hmm. okay, but I think they got too wet. I think it was the spring, yeah. the wetness in the spring where it was just cold temps yeah. and then too wet and they just didn't. Mm-hmm. So um, not much help yeah. on that, I guess. Uh, but I do know it's yeah. it's possible. I just know that it takes quite a bit more effort um, yeah. to do that. Yeah. 
And, and I mean, j- just to add, if this something is something that you're taking seriously, you can definitely experiment with extra tubers for sure. But for us, like I don't want to risk not having a certain dahlia to try and overwinter them. For me, it's like it's easier. It makes more sense to to dig them and get them somewhere safe so we can split them. Um, and I, I mean, I know some homeowners will like plant them up by their house where it stays a little warmer. And I don't know. It feels like a lot of extra work. Um, so I think it's just finding if, if that's something that you're interested in, just trialing it with some extra tubers. But I wouldn't like rely upon it to come back the following year. Yeah, that's why we okay. did it in the UPIC because I was like, you know, yeah. well, it's not going to hurt anything if we do it that yes. way. Um, yeah. And we lost them. And I was like, okay, well, there we go. <laughs> you know, yeah. now we now we yeah. know. Yeah. It takes yeah. more effort, but. Yes. Okay. The best – what is the best time to replant tubers in the spring? Um, for us, our general planting schedule is we'll work to get all of our summer annuals in, like maybe the first couple weeks of – um, May. And then after that, we plant our tubers. So typically kind of like the, the general guidance is that you want your soil temp to be around 60 degrees for it to be ready to plant tubers. Um, for us, we just do it when we can. And our goal is to get everybody in before Memorial Day. Um, I think the real risk is if you're planting them too early that they'll get too cold. I think generally if it does, if, if you have your tubers planted, but you don't have any greenery, um, I think they'll probably be warm enough in the soil if you get a little bit of a frost. Um, but I think it's when you have green foliage, you know, already sprouted, or if you're planting rooted cuttings and stuff like that, where you would, um, you know, risk a frost. But generally, I would just get them in after your last frost date and before an R zone Memorial Day. So next question, why are my dahlias so short? Well, it could be, like if I was troubleshooting this with you, could be several mm-hmm. things. Um, water could be an issue. Uh, yes. So if you're being too conservative with your water, if you live in a drought area where it's just naturally you're mm-hmm. not getting that, um, you know, additional rainfall that we're like we're mm-hmm. getting this year. Um, so that could be it. Also, um, something that really stunts dahlias early on is when we get that like heat spike in the spring. So you get them in, you know, like Shannon's saying, you get them in sometime in May in our zone, zone six, and it comes up and you've got mid-June and it hits 90 and it stays at 90. Those mm-hmm. plants stress, it they carry that stress with them on. Um, so you know, they may pull out of it and recoup if you've got enough water to them and nutrients and they're just healthy and they're thriving in the soil, um, but they mm-hmm. can actually keep them short. So um, I know last year I talked with, there was another farmer that was, had called me and they, all of their stock was like super, super short and it was a heat. Mm-hmm. It was just the heat. So, um, yeah. you know, just sort of putting on that like in, investigator kind of hat and figuring mm-hmm. out like what could have affected that. But I would say heat and water would be my two, mm-hmm. um, yep. I two agree. suspects. Yeah. And I think generally when people are having troubles, trouble with dahlias, um, it's they're over, they're underwatering. I think they need more water than you think 
that they need. Um, plus, like I know we talked a little bit about in part one about like fertilizing schedules um, to make sure they're getting like some extra nutrients that they need. Like doing some of that stuff, I think is going to help help keep them coming, staying healthy, um, and get a little extra height on those for you. But I think underwatering and and if they're too hot, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's I know there's a question coming up here soon about planting them in landscape fabric. I know people do. And successfully, but you have to be aware that because you have that black fabric and we have to deal with it with the black plastic that we use, is that the temperature, the soil temp could be a little bit too hot for them. So it is making sure you're irrigating to keep the keep the plant cool. So, mm-hmm. Yep. So like to chime in on that too. So the landscape fabric mm-hmm. can hold in moisture. It also can keep root mm-hmm. systems cooler, but you've got to You've, it's a two-step system. Like you guys were talking, you and Judd, you have to plant them deeper. Mm-hmm. So I think we get nervous. So I think yes. having them deeper and then having, like you said, that black plastic over top and then keeping them watered, it's just constantly f- trying to figure out what that magic sauce is for that, you know, for the for the combo. So yeah, mm-hmm. could just be like one random thing that's off with it, but Yeah. So I think we we addressed why do they take so long to bloom, not enough water. Um, so I think, yes, generally, and it, it's going to depend on your soil temperature. It's going to depend on the general temperature. If it's too hot, they're not going to, they're going to take longer to bloom because they'll essentially kind of go dormant if it's too hot. So like for us in September, when we're starting to get cooler nights, that's when they really start taking off. Um, so they, they really do like that cool, cool night. Um, and I think that could be a reason why. Um, okay. So do you want to talk about growing in the greenhouse versus the open field lens? You do both, don't you? Um, used to, and I don't do the greenhouse anymore. Um, so yeah, I, and I think it goes back to back up to that powdery mildew issue. Um, yeah. So the question was growing in a greenhouse versus open field, which is the best. And for our climate, for our zone, I find that for us, open field is best. I think if you wanted to have some early dahlias and you get them planted early and you're like, oh, I want cafes in June for a wedding, um, mm-hmm. you could definitely in zone six, probably zone part of zone five, maybe even have them yeah. in oh, yeah. in a tunnel, especially with protection. Um but with us, it was a lot of disease pressure, not a lot of blooms, and it was not worth mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. space for us. So we pulled it. Now, I will say, um, I think there's a question later on about growing in heat. I'm pretty sure that's in here. If not, I'll circle back mm-hmm. to it, like growing in um, more like high heat uh, zones where it's a lot hotter. And uh they use a lot of like greenhouse. So my friend Andrea, um, that's in Arizona, she grows them and she grows them in a tunnel and they grow really well, but she has a lot of shade protection with like Mm -hmm. the shade cloth and they do extra measures to keep those going, but she does not have the humidity we have. So, um, it's so funny. I was like reading through some of these questions. It's like, yeah, but it depends. Like, so there's just not, that's what makes this so challenging. Cause it's like, so if you're listening to this on the East Coast versus the West Coast, like it's very different. It's a very different thing. So, um, you know, I always just encourage like whatever it is we tell you, just like, you know, fact check it for your for your particular growing area specifically, but at least give you some parameters to like know what questions to ask, I guess, to, um, to yeah. see which would be best for you. So, yeah. 
Okay. Um, can I grow them in landscape fabric in Kentucky? I mean, I think we addressed this a little bit earlier. I think you can grow in landscape fabric. You just have to be mindful of keeping them watered because they retain moisture, plant them nice and deep so that they stay cooler. And I think that you should be able to plant them in landscape fabric with no problem. Mm-hmm. All right. So, if a dahlia hasn't performed well, should I try to save the tuber or pitch it? Well, it depends on your personality. <laughs> if you're me, that shit's going to the U pick. <laughs> or it's going in the tuber sale. No, no. I um we'll we'll send those. Um they're not gonna buy tubers from me now. They're like, these are all of her junk tubers. <laughs> this is if she doesn't want that. Um so no, it's I heard uh, Lori share once that she gives it three years. And I think, oh, okay. think it was wow. like Geneva mm-hmm. or is that right? Is that a tuber? Okay. Genova. Yeah. yeah I don't Genova. Know. Gina. Yeah. Something. Just something. <laughs> um, so, J ain't in my farm anymore. So it's the <laughs> – I grew it and I didn't like it. It just didn't perform well. And so uh, Lori's mm-hmm. thought was that it would – it would acclimate to her growing area after she was oh. like, I give it three mm-hmm. years to see if it's sort of like adjust. Jamanda is another one. I just, I loved the color mm-hmm. and I got it and I'm like, I'm sorry, you've got to go. Um, <laughs> it just was, I don't know, it just didn't produce the tubers or it just didn't produce the flowers that I thought. Mm-hmm. It had a wonky kind of growing habit and um, I had enough other things that were in that color palette. So uh, if it doesn't perform well, uh, that's totally up to you, you know, whether you want to keep it and and try it again. But if you go with mm-hmm. me, you'll pitch it. If you're team Lori, you keep it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think just, again, just like encouraging you if that encouraging you, you're running a business. So if something is not producing or being profitable for you, then you need to get rid of it. So no matter how much you like it, and there's lots of, you know, lots of things that I might like, but it, my customer, if my customers don't like it, what am I doing? So I think it all has to go back to, is this plant, because you're taking time and energy to plant the tuber, keep it happy until it blooms, dig it up. I mean, is that all worth it if you're just going to walk right by that dahlia and not even care about picking it? No. So mm-hmm. I'm in the pitch it. I'm in the pitch it category. And honestly, that's kind of the fun. I mean, have fun with it. Like the fun is trialing new tubers and making that decision at the end of at the end of the season. It's like, hey, was this one worth it or not? If it's not, let it go. Those are the mm-hmm. ones that we give to family and friends because they're just happy to have dahlias, you know. But and a lot of times maybe we'll just throw it away. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I think just get rid of it. You know, don't put too much time and effort into it if it's not being profitable for you, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's very smart that you say that because I think that's where my brain is going, where it's like, mm-hmm. if you think about, if you're doing the math and you're like, oh my gosh, but I spent a hundred dollars yes. on these tubers. But if you think about digging them, saving them, dividing them, replanting them, 
watering, fertilizing, doing the whole thing for a whole nother year, you're way beyond the cost of those tubers. So, you know, just the business, always taking it back to the business side of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really, it's a great lens to make decisions through because it takes the emotion Mm -hmm. out of it. Um, Yes. You know, and if you want to just grow that thing in your own garden and try it, then that's, that's totally up to you. But yes. Yeah. And I think you're the business owner, be a fierce businesswoman or business businessman and make those um, really important decisions for your farm. And it, it does have to be a little cutthroat that way. And um, I encourage you to do, to be like that and really look through at your, at what everything that you're growing with that kind of lens. Um, raised bed explanation. This so is yours, you know, this is specifically to you because you, I've actually <laughs> almost stopped you guys when you were talking raised um, beds, when we were doing yeah. weed management Um, Okay. Yeah. Because my brain doesn't Mm -hmm. look at what you have as a raised bed. But when you talk about raised beds, I, people, um, once you see the process done, it makes sense, right? That it kind of hills that dirt up, but go explain it. Cause I think when people hear raised beds, they're naturally thinking like a six by six and a treated. Oh no. Yeah. No. Okay. Yes. Okay. I see what, I see how you would think that, um, this would be like a commercial, a commercial growing raised bed. So essentially, um, for us, and we do this in our tunnels too, without a machinery. But um, for us, Judd uses his mulch layer, which has oh gosh, he's just gonna he's gonna be like Shannon, <laughs> what are you? How are you explaining this? Okay, it has two discs essentially that like throw soil to create like it there's actually like a ledge on either side of the bed that it creates um and it just basically hills dirt into a mound and creates a bed that way so when he makes his bed and he you can do this with or without plastic um but it you can actually see it's raised like so when we plant our tubers they're still above ground level they're not even below the ground level when we when we're planting them so everything that we do is in a raised bed. We have clay soil. Um, we're always, there's like a very wet spot in our field. Um, so that helps mitigate problems with stuff getting flooded. Um, and honestly, it, 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 wor- it works with our mulch layer and it's been great. So it's just essentially just hilling that dirt into a mound and creating a bed out of it so that everything you're planting is above ground level. Mm-hmm. Was that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That the yeah, best that's gr- it? yeah. No, I think yeah. that's a great explanation. So it's just like basically yeah. like little mounds of dirt, like dirt roads, yes. you know? So essentially like where you're yes. walking is like six inches lower and the, there's a machine that forms yes. it. But I mean, I think people do yeah. use raised, true raised beds. I've seen that been used. Um, yes. And I think um, there's a girl that I know that's I she's in Kentucky. I'm pretty sure she has a flower truck. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I know her name. Um, but she uses raised beds because she's on a hill. And that's literally like the way okay. their property lays. They just have to use raised beds and that's how she farms. Um, and so of yeah. like it's not ideal. It's more labor intensive and, you know, all of those things that go into it. Um, but for her, it mm-hmm. works. So I think it's one of those like where she yeah. just found that little spot. But yeah. yes, that's a really good explanation because I still find myself yes. when you guys talk about raised beds, like <laughs> that's so it's funny, not what yeah. I call a raised bed in the landscape world yeah. or even even in traditionally in the gardening 
world with yes. vegetable gardening. There's a raised bed gardening was like a whole thing. So yes. very clear difference, but yeah. Yeah. And I think if you're thinking not non-machinery and we do it in our greenhouse too, but we're essentially taking a shovel and scoop – the best way I can explain it is scooping out the aisleways. So you like scoop and throw it into the bed and then you're creating – so if there, we were ever to have a ton of water – we're on a hill. So there's like a lot of erosion that happens with water running through our tunnels. Um, so it does help keep the crops above ground level. So we're just mm-hmm. essentially like scooping out the aisleways to make a, a form a bed essentially in the in the greenhouse instead of just planting directly into the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. Last question under the growing category. So do you remove side mm-hmm. buds? No. And no. it's uh, time. It's efficiency. It goes back to that money piece for us. I will say that if you're growing specifically for Dahlia shows, yes. like that's – yes, you would remove it um, so that – and what that does is removing those two little side buds on there. Um, it just takes the energy that you would have from growing essentially three flowers into one bloom. So it makes it a nice, really presentable, pretty bloom. You get them when they're super tiny. You don't even see the cut mark on it where you've snapped them out to the point where like you actually can do it with your fingernails. Um, but we don't do it at all. I actually think the side buds are pretty no. um, in there because they'll sometimes they'll even open up a little bit and give you a little color. It fills the bouquet out a little mm-hmm. bit more. So no on the side buds for us from a produ- yes. from the production standpoint. Yes, I, I agree with that. And a lot we always get a lot of people asking us, are these gonna open up? You know, I'm like, no, probably not, especially if they're very close. A funny thing, we had our Dahlia Fest this past weekend, and a lady picked all side buds. Did, some, did somebody tell her? Well, you know me. I, I, I shut up. I probably should have, but I just couldn't even believe it. I was like literally speechless. That's like seeing somebody walk out of the bathroom and they have like toilet paper flapping. Like this, this happened once and I stopped her. Like I did. I was like, I was at work. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like she walked by me at the front desk when I was working in an office. Yeah. She, her butt cheeks grabbed the toilet paper and it was like a tail (laughs) flapping in the wind. And the girls were like, so like everybody was looking at her. I'm like, oh my gosh, she has a toilet paper tail. And so I like, first of all, I went over to her and just tried to like grab it without telling her. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this is even why my brain's going there, but it didn't work. And then I thought if I grab it and it's still attached, she's going to be like, holy shit. So I, um, I just tapped her on the shoulder and I was like, you know, like pointed down. I just would feel so bad, like walking. Oh, she would be so embarrassed, you know, walking around like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you did the so right you, thing. I I'll know. <laughs> I literally, I didn't. I was speechless. I know, but it's like they think that somebody told them along the way that. You- <laughs> Oh my gosh. That you have to that if you like cut it when it's in bud form that it'll it'll last longer in face and open up. I mean, they were very immature. I mean, there was no way in, in freaking hell anything was opening in that jar. It wasn't even close. Huh. It was not even close. I mean, she we had much a customer tell us. Quiet. Oh. Well, see, we had a customer tell us so we did those private dahlia U picks. Mm-hmm. 
And a customer told us that she picked a bud on a dinner plate and it opened for her and she just threw really? it away. She had said yes, which meant that that would have been like 12 days or 13 days. So I was like, no oh. way. So Emily brought me one into the house and I tried it yeah. and it opened like a couple petals, but it was really like, yeah. it wasn't to the green stage. I mean, it was showing some yes. white color, but um, yes. I will say small world, that thing's a rock star. That Dow yeah. YouTuber, <laughs> it does. Yes, it I opens, agree. Um, mm-hmm. It dries a little like phallic looking, but um, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. Okay. So it <laughs> – we shouldn't record in the evenings. I'm delirious. Okay. <laughs> A lot of editing here. Um, But the white on the buds, like those bud stage, they started to open up on there and started to come. Really? Like, yes. That thing is a rock star. I'm telling you. It's like moving quickly to the top oh, of my list. That's a good one. It is. <laughs> anyway, where are we? Okay. Storage. Um, Oh, storage. Okay. What is the best way to store your tubers? And we talked about that in episode 17. I will really quick restate. We don't really do anything overly special. Um, We dig them, hose them off, let them dry. They go into black bulb crates. And for us, they go in right into our basement, which stays about 50 degrees um, and that has worked for us. We've spent a lot of money on like medium, peat moss, chicken bedding, all of it. Um, and for us, and everyone's basement is different. So I really do give you guys a, a big disclaimer. Like you have to find what works for you. Um, some people store them in their cooler and then you're having to kind of make sure that the humidity is right. And then, and that's where I think maybe storing medium would help try to like keep humidity um, at bay. So for us, that's what we do. What about you, Lynn? Um, similar. We yeah. don't hose though. We don't, okay. ha- that was one thing when I was listening to you guys, like we don't mm-hmm. wash the tubers off. We actually, yeah. I think that the mud helps them kind of like packs in around and kind of helps store a little mm-hmm. bit better for us. Mm-hmm. And then we're also at an advantage where we have sandy, sandy soil yes. in some of it. So it does kind of come off a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we don't really wash them until we're ready mm-hmm. to um, divide. And then depending on okay. how dirty the tuber yeah. is, we don't even do it. Mm-hmm. And then storage, um, we have used pine shavings, which you call chicken. Mm-hmm. What do you call it? Chicken, chicken bedding. bedding. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and so – we yeah. we've used that in the past with certain ones that we know that we have issues with, but otherwise we don't have we don't use anything in them. So yeah, but bulb crate same way. Yep. All right. So we had lots of questions on um, propagation and like starting from seed, and mm-hmm. so a uh, couple of them said. So for me, I'm looking to increase my stock in a cost effective way. So cuttings and propagation on a large scale seem of interest. So when uh, when to start growing the tubers, when to take the cuttings, how long for them to come up, the timing, so on, like any propagation tips. So I'm going to just walk you through mm-hmm. my propagation, I guess, uh, summary of sort of what I do. So um, bear with me here. So the first of all, there are fabulous YouTube videos out there from – Yes. And they're all British. Sarah Raven is one of them. Like they have wonderful accents and they're just a delight to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of, I had done some propagation of like houseplants and um, uh, some, you know, succulents and stuff before. So mm-hmm. 
but I, I learned from, I just started watching, like I watched a Sarah Raven video and there's another guy that I had watched that he actually does leaf, like leaf cutting. So those are out there on YouTube if you want to get more into this, but let me just walk you through my process. So, um, to answer the question in March, so the whole process, um, takes about two months. So to wake up the mm-hmm. Dahlia tuber, uh, whether you're purchasing some new ones in and they get shipped in like early March or you s- kind of wake them up them- yourself. Um, I like to use a 1080 tray, which is just a regular planting tray. And I will put a uh, compost or something, you know, potting soil or something in there. You basically just want to have um, like half of the tuber covered. And I use a shallow tray. I don't use like a, I've seen people plant them like deep and like individual ones, but I just lay them flat, cover them up, water them in. Um, Where I grow my seeds, it's a fairly warm environment anyway. So it's like in the seventies where I grow it inside. Um, So if you have a cold area that you're growing in or you're in a greenhouse, you can even use a heat mat underneath of there to kind of wake them up quicker. Um, but usually 10 to 14 days, you should start seeing those dahlias kind of pop up with some, with some cuttings or some, excuse me, some stems on them. Um, couple things on the note uh, to note on this. So each tuber you can take about three to five cuttings from if you want to plant that tuber out the one that you're cutting from. If you don't care, like for me, I usually am like, I'm just going to exhaust that tuber. So I'll just cut all of them that come off of there. So they say three to five still leaves enough sort of like um, oomph. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it is Mm -hmm. that you could still plant it outside and it's going to be like a productive tuber that you're not going to damage it. Um, But I basically, I use a paring knife. I don't use anything Mm -hmm. fancy. They have like grafting tools, but I just use a sharp paring knife. And I just go in and take, this is kind of hard to explain via podcast, but I just take a, take as close as you can. And actually I take a tiny little bit of the tuber with me. So just a small sliver and that helps it to, um, uh, basically to get its roots going. And how I do the next process is there's several ways to do it. Like everything in this farming world, but I use what's called a hort cube. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes that you can just see what I use. And it's basically just a um, low density cube. So I know like Mm -hmm. Oasis makes some that you can use if you are – so like it's low density with the – the cube itself, but it's high with high drainage capacity. So it's not going to rot, but it's sterile. So what I found when I was having issues with rot or dampening off was because I was using potting soil, um, you know, or something that like, I don't even use rooting hormone. So I know oh. that's suggested, um, but I don't really have to in those hort cubes. I just, mm-hmm. once you're getting a little bit of the fleshy tuber, it's just a fun thing to try, you know, like just to kind of bump it up. Um, but I just lay them in there and then after, I don't know, like three or four days, you'll start to see them kind of like perk up and then you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're starting to like send out a little tiny shoot. Um, and then I just break those off and then, um, plant them out that way. So you can take them right into potting soil or individual pots. There's lots of different ways to do it. Um, but that's just my personal kind of preference on that, uh, there's lots of different um, rooting hormones. You can do 
uh, like a powder. They make a liquid one. Um, but I like those Hort, those Hort cubes just because they already mm-hmm. have the little hole punched in. You just plop them right yep. in and easy peasy. And then, you know, they're, they're pretty easy to use. So uh, it's all about a two month, two month process. Once the tuber, like you could, so let's say you wake it up and then, uh, you know, you could probably take cuttings off of that thing for probably a month mm-hmm. and then get them ready and then, you know, plant out from there. So I hope that's, yeah, I'm, I think that's like, good. Stuff gets me all jacked yeah. up. I like doing talking about it. <laughs> Judd loves um, it. Judd, Judd's the main guy. Yeah, he he does. We're going to try the Hort Cubes this year, so I'll keep you all updated. I'm sure mm-hmm. that they're great. So Judd did it into a vermiculite, just like a, just like a seedling tray. I think they were 50s. He filled with wet vermiculite, and that's how he did his with the rooting hormone that we ordered on Amazon. Um, and it, it, it did good. And honestly, our, our rooted cuttings were like our first ones to bloom. They did great being planted right out into the field. So they were great. And we're going to keep doing more of that because that's a very nice way if you have a nice heated spot to keep increasing your stock, especially on maybe some fancier varieties that are a little expensive. Um, it really is a great option. And yeah, pretty easy. Sure. I mean, pretty, pretty easy. I mean, yeah, it doesn't take a lot of specialized knowledge. And I think once you get the hang of it, you'll you'll be you'll be great. You'll mm-hmm. you'll be able to visually see how things are going. Yeah. And we also got questions on um, seeds. So like basically there was some breeding questions, which I, which I truly don't know. Um, yes, it's an area I would love to dive into because mm-hmm. it's so fascinating to me. Um, but they did ask uh, specific to the seeds. So if the seeds, um, they want to save it for that variety, will it actually produce that flower? And the answer is no. So mm-hmm. that seed um, – you know, as far as if you were to harvest from peaches or whatever, yeah. that seed has the, I, I don't know if it's DNA, that's probably the right yeah, way, I think so. of all of its previous breeding history. So like you could get a rogue, you know, white or mm-hmm. peach or something in there with whatever it is you have. I'm, um, so yeah, they're not true to seed in that way. Uh, but yeah. so the best way if you want to get, that's why the tubers are sold, um, that way just because of the Mm -hmm. genetics with it and, and breeding. But I'm so fascinated. I would love to come up with some sort of something, you know, like my own variety of something would be fun. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You'd have to think of a fun name for it. Oh yeah. That'd be the best part. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, What tools do you use to divide dahlias? Um, We just use a really sharp pair of snips um, for the most part, um, Judd uses sometimes if he's cutting big clumps, you can use like a lopper, um, or he will, he has like a Dremel tool that has like an oscillating, um, little cutting tool on it that he'll use to cut. But generally we're just sanitizing and using some nice sharp snips. Okay. Let's move on to selling. Um, which is very important with dahlias because there's so much labor. So um, selling them will be the key to their profitability for you for sure. Um, First question, how long are you comfortable storing the cut dahlias in the cooler before selling? It's hard to have enough outlets through the week to move within 24 hours. Um, I get that. I think it kind of depends on who your end customer is going to be. For me, if I'm holding dahlias for a wedding, I'll 
cut them on Monday. I'll hoard if I need peaches or something for a wedding. I'll hoard every dahlia that week to use on Saturday because the the expectation for the wedding is that it doesn't have to last seven days. Um, so I think generally I would say two to three days in the cooler maximum for ball dahlias. Dinner plates I really do try to cut within 24 hours just because they're a little bit more sensitive. But um, I think two to three max. So again, I had kind of talked a little bit in episode 17 how we had to kind of find an outlet for those Monday cuts. And I think you're going to have those little obstacles in your business and just I would try and figure out a way to either get those sold or holding them for someone who's going to get it in their hands maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what Do you have anything to add to that, Lynn? How, how long are you holding yours in the cooler? Uh, the same. I mean, if we're going to use them in bouquets, yeah. I don't like to hold them more than a day. I just, I'm funny about yeah. it with dahlias. Um, mm-hmm. but I do like to give them a day in the cooler, you know, um, so that yes, they can take up that water. And I know we talked about that during the last episode, but, uh, yeah, similar, mm-hmm. very similar, but yes. Okay. Um, so how somebody asked, how profitable are they selling tubers does not sound like fun to me. So if you look at just the flowers, are they profitable? Um, good for you for knowing that that doesn't sound fun, first of all, and um, <laughs> and listening to that because I think you feel like you have to, yeah. right? Like it's a whole yes. other, it's a whole other yeah. thing. I mean, during mm-hmm. <laughs> selling, I'm like, oh my, I don't know if I'm doing yes. this actually. Um, so it, how profit it. This is one of those, it depends because how are you selling them? Who are you selling them to? Um, Mm -hmm. For us, they are profitable, but I'm also very fine tuning uh, how many I'm growing and I'm not just getting hung up on numbers Mm -hmm. where I couldn't grow Mm 10,000 values because they would go to waste for me with the area that I'm in. Um, So to me, I'm like, okay, did I have enough? Did I have too much? And I, it goes back to my shrink shrink sheet that I talk about. Um, if we're pitching a lot, you know, like where is that fine line between like I have enough that's usable, you're always going to have a little bit of waste, but finding that right sales outlet like Shannon was saying. But yes, they are profitable. Mm-hmm. You do get a much higher stem count. But does that mean you're selling it to a wedding florist, to a wholesaler? Um, are you doing mm-hmm. a Dahlia CSA that gets a premium price on it because of the you know, the amount of work that goes into them. So um, they are, but I think it comes down to that business lens that you're looking through to kind of fine tune, fine tune actually what you're, uh, you know, what outlet you're selling to. I agree. Okay. Um, Do florists really buy with such a short vase life? Um, Yes, absolutely. First of all, the stuff that florists gets in is, it's horrible. They can't even order, maybe, if they have somebody that – a good source. I don't know. I've never really talked – florists generally don't order dahlias in unless they're getting them locally. So, um, yes, they will buy your dahlias. Um, your dahlias are beautiful, first of all. The crap that dahlias that they get in can't even compare. So I really do think florists are a great customer for your dahlias um, because they don't get to see it very often. And it really is a differentiator in their work. So yes, I absolutely believe that they will buy them. Um, How do we handle direct to florist sales? Do you have a system? Um, 
I think depending how big you are, you can have a system. Um, we use kind of like an online shop uh, through our WordPress uh, site to kind of manage florist orders. But uh, this is we could I could probably do a whole episode on selling to florists, but a lot of them are very old school. So we have a system, but a lot of them don't even want to use it. They <laughs> they just they just want an email with a list of things that uh, we have to sell, and then they want to call you and talk to you about the things. Um, so I feel I don't wouldn't put too much emphasis on like having to have a special system for them. I would um, try and let the product speak for itself, and it will um, by getting it in front of them. And maybe that's dropping off samples. Maybe that's um, just showing up every week with a mix of dahlias. I think um, once they see them, you will have no problems, but you're going to have to, depends on your market. Some, the young ones who are doing like wedding design, they're going to be super savvy and they want to order through a system. Um, but the older, older ones who are just used to running their business, the way they run it, calling up their wholesaler, they're going to want that same process with you and you need to eliminate those obstacles for them to order from you. So sometimes as annoying as it is, you're going to have to bend to some of those things if you do want to sell to florists. Mm-hmm. And unless you have really? anything to add to that at all, yeah, I would. I, I I don't have a system in the way of like they go online and order because of that. All of those reasons you just said, mm-hmm. uh, but I will add that consistency is key for you to have. Like so, for us, there's a we go we hit our florist route on Tuesdays. That's the route. If they want anything special, they call us and they pick up at the farm. And mm-hmm. so they know that. They know that Tuesday's our route day. Um, if we're, we do deliveries on Thursdays for a grocery and um, our retail account. So if we're in the area, um, we will deliver to them. Like we'll offer that up. And then also, you know, so just having the consistency for them, but it really does take like a phone call a lot of times because mm-hmm. for me, um, we also load up extra product in the van. So I have a lot of them mm-hmm. that just have standing orders with us and then we can kind of add in or if they have a wedding, they call us. Um, but if they see that product, they're just like, yes, I mean, I have florists that text me and they're like, can we get some, just any color? They don't care, yes. whatever you want, mm-hmm. because the, they're so beautiful and they are a mm-hmm. differentiator for the, for their market. So yeah. Yep. Um, a good question. When selling to florists, are you selling by color with mixed varieties or just that one only or that color only? Um, a couple different things. So when we're selling to florists, generally we just sell them in a five bunch. That's how we do it at least. And they would be all the same color. There's been a lot of debate on my farm about how to, to list them. Like, do we list them as red? We, you know, be trying to to simplify it down and just give them a color, but we've kind of gotten away from that. And now we really do say like Linda's baby <laughs> because there's so, there's so many variations with dahlias. There's like what you might think is red. Somebody else would be like, whoa, 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 that is not red, but really they're looking for what, for what you would consider burgundy. Um, so you really do have to be specific. So I think that's where pictures come into play. Um, giving an accurate representation of color, and with dahlias, which is that, which is why we love them, is that there's so many undertone colors, which I think is really hard to describe. Because, like for instance, some of our red dahlias might have like a yellow undertone, and for like an event person, they might be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa I don't want that." So um, we've actually started using the dahlia, the dahlia names with the color. So we'll be like, "Okay, diva." 
you know, dark purple or plum, you know, so we try to describe it um, the best that we can, but it does give them the opportunity to look it up if they have to and see what that uh, dahlia actually looks like. And it's hard to like, because some people won't want like cactus style dahlias. They're, they're, want, they're thinking everything's a dinner plate, but it's not. So then the size isn't an accurate representation. So we use the names um, of the dahlias. And I think that that has really helped as far as clarity with anybody ordering, whether it's a florist, a wholesaler, a retail customer, um, that has really been good for us, a good change. That's good. All right. So educating your customers on vase life, how do you market dahlias since they have such a short vase life? Um, I realized, I heard uh, Linda Doan share on a post about how she used to apologize for the Dahlia's vase life instead of, you know, now she's just like, they're gorgeous. Like take it or right. leave it, you know? Um, yes. And so I looked at it from, it really had me questioning sort of like how I was selling these things. And I was, I was doing mm-hmm. the same thing. I had anxiety yeah. when I was selling them. I had um, like, oh, go. I always feel like I need to say, I'm like, here are the most beautiful things that we grow on this entire farm. And it's like, when they hand you an ice cream cone, they don't say, hurry, enjoy it. Like it's going to last for two minutes, you know, and <laughs> inhale it. Yeah. Um, so I, we do we do say to the, our customers with dahlias, they like to have their water changed every day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we yes. are, we hammer it. We say it at every market, every book, it just comes right out. Um, and mm-hmm. instead of saying like, hey, they have a shorter base life, you know, I just say like they appreciate a trim and some fresh water every day would be great. Um, mm-hmm. And it really does. My mom is fantastic. I just went up uh, there this evening and I'm like, is that from last week? And her, her dye CSA, I'm like, I mean, it's, it's tired. It's from Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, but today is Wednesday and I'm like, oh, okay. I was really surprised. Good. It looks, it looks good. Yeah. Yes. So, um, like I wouldn't have pitched it today, you know, at yeah. that point she goes, I, yeah, I changed the water and I trim it. I'm like, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just educating yeah. them. I just, I put it in a positive spin. Um, and yes. for me, it's just like removing that anxiety. It's like, I don't want to project that onto the customer of like, Yes. You know, maybe I should buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. I mean, I think we, we need to quit apologizing for our stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, I mean, five, five days. I mean, I think that's really good. It is. I think most people are getting five plus days out of their, out of their dahlias. Um, and I really don't think that's anything to apologize. I mean, if you're selling Cosmos, those things got to be dying. (laughs) I bet your lady with the buds is disappointed though. Yeah, I think, you know what? Hey, that's part of having flowers. And we can't expect, you know, if you want your flowers the last three weeks, go buy some faux flowers. What yep. are you talking to me for? Um, yep. And again, okay, and this always goes, goes back to like finding your customers. Your customers are going to come to you and they're going to be so excited to find dahlias because literally the only place they ever see them is you. Mm-hmm. So just be mm-hmm. proud of the things that you're doing and quit apologizing for your stuff. We used to apologize mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a bug bite on that. You know, I'm just like, no, I- I'm done doing that stuff because mm-hmm. I really think they're gorgeous. Confidence. I'm like, I mean, what, what do you want from me? I mean, go get, mm-hmm. <laughs> go get fake flowers. <laughs> That's what you want. What it's just like, 
wholly realistic expectations in, with people. I mean, really. But yeah. again, if someone's complaining about Adalia not lasting, you know, 10 days, then that person is not your person. Mm-hmm. You need to find new people. <laughs> Exactly. But I really think, you know what, they're here for a short time. They're so beautiful. There's so much hard work and you really should be proud, proud mm-hmm. when you're selling it. For okay. sure. All right. Off the so, soapbox. yes. Okay. So randoms, random mm-hmm. questions on, well, not randoms. That's not a good way to categorize it. Others, because <laughs> I couldn't find a category, not randoms. Um, so why... Why do some of my dahlias not come true to color? They're just like washed out looking. So the example was like Linda's baby or Robin Hood. They don't look anything like they should. So couple thing, my couple thoughts with that would be like, is it the right variety? Um, you yeah. know, because there can be some that look so dang similar. Mm-hmm. Um, two that I confuse is um, I think it's Caitlin's Joy and Isabel. Mm-hmm. They look very similar. I'm like pretty sure that's the ones that – okay. So just be sure, one, that the variety is right. But two, it could be the time of year. So Why Not Jill is a perfect example. So Mm -hmm. it just completely changes color when the season cools down. And it – in the beginning – like it can look very like vibrant, almost like a bright purple with some white on it. There's a lot of variation with it. And then it gets a lot more yellow as the temperatures drop. So you'll see certain varieties like pull out different color. My mm-hmm. small world gets real blushy, um, mm-hmm. doesn't get a true white, pulls more blush. So that could be part of it too. That would just yeah. be my first thought, I guess, with that. Yeah. Okay. Best early blooming varieties. Um, the person who asked this question lives in a tourist area um, and their sales are starting to slow down when the dahlias are really cranking. Um, so my favorite early varieties are, I think, Robin Hood. Robin Hood's a great one. It's always early for us. Um, Boom Boom White for sure is one of our earliest. Um, Rock Run Ashley is always an early one for us. Um, and apple blossom, which I don't know, I guess I kind of, I have a love hate with apple blossom. Um, but it's an early one for us. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, do you have any other to add to that lens? Um, did you say wine eyed Jill? Yeah, I don't grow wine eyed Jill. I need to. Oh, I'll give you some. We'll swap. Yeah. Um, yeah. Linda's baby brown sugar. Yeah. Brown sugars. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. early. Yeah. But those are yeah, those are some good ones. That's kind yeah. of an array of colors. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think some are just naturally earlier than others. Um, so those are some good ones, I think. Um, that could definitely get you guys started early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh how do you decide where to cut when harvesting the flower? And it's I always try to go for maximum stem length. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to cut like a standard long stem and I'm using like, I don't know. I'm I'm holding my arm out. Can you see how long that is? Like when I lay, <laughs> lay them in my arm, um, I, you know, I don't know what that is. I just go down, look for a leap, like a node where it splits mm-hmm. off and cutting them deep um, encourages them to 
send up long stems. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, you guys had talked about doing like a pinch where you, you know, you guys don't pinch, but you take that first cut really deep. So it's sort of like a deep pinch. Um, and that just encourages more, more lateral buds on there. So, um, there's no real standard answer. There might be from somebody, but, um, mine's yeah. just like, I don't know, two feet, two and a half yeah. feet, something. We're just trying to get enough stem length that it's, we've got some stuff to work with. And sometimes I'll look at it. And I'm like, oh, okay, we need to go. Or if I'm like, uh, you know, we're going through and harvesting them. And I noticed that like there was a funky cut on one. I might just go in and snip it out. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, usually just a couple, couple feet. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay. I have limited space and I need the best dahlias for cutting. I want to make sure that my dahlias complement each other in an arrangement, a quick list of your favorite cutting dahlias. Okay. Um, favorite white, small world's a good one. Definitely. Um, boom, boom, white. I love for white or set beauty. I don't know. I've loved that one this year. It's like sparkly. Um, it's very pretty. And we grew, um, bridezilla this year kind of has like a lower growing habit. Um, but it's kind of like a lily type white, um, which is pretty. I like that one. Um, any other whites to add to that one, Linz? That's a good one. Mm, yeah. Boom, boom's good. good. Boom's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, Burgundy, um, Ivanetti is my, one of my faves. That's a great mm-hmm. Dahlia. Um, Jesse G is a good one too, that I really like both of those for Burgundy. Um, we grow Rip City for Burgundy. It's like considered, it's like one of those Burgundy black ones, um, which are good. Um, so that's a good one. Black Satin, Black Satin's a good one. It's kind of a smaller ball. It doesn't sh- put off a ton of blooms. It's not like one that is constantly cranking out blooms, but they're very beautiful. Okay, blush. And I'm I'm actually on search for some good blush ones. So pink pearl. Mm-hmm. Wins. I, I, I like it. That one looks like. It's okay, small. I'm going to get that one. Okay. Yeah, it's like um, probably a two and a half inch, two inch ball. It's always okay. like twice the size of Small World, but it's mm-hmm. definitely not like an Ivanetti or Cornell size. It's probably like half mm-hmm. of that. Okay. Um but it's it's very pretty, and I would I would definitely call it a blush. Now, blush mm-hmm. is just like I it's know. a very con- yes. it's, yeah. We won't even go there. But yeah. so it's but it's what I would call blush, where it's just not that vibrant pink. Um, it's yes. not pulling coral. It's a really soft pink color. So mm-hmm. I like that one. Mm, I don't love one. sweet Natalie. I know everybody oh, like yeah. oohs and awes over that one. I don't like the way it faces, and then it always gets like a couple brown yes. petals on the back. I'm just like, I want to just like twist its head a little bit when I. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Sweet. The color is right on sweet Natalie. I I know what you mean about the way it grows. Yeah. Um, I'm always on the search for some good blush ones. So if you got any, you know, send them my way. I'm looking for some more muted colors. I always want to walk by it and just say like, put your chin up, chin up, (laughs) you know, like. (laughs) Uh, okay. Coral, um, a la mode. Uh, yeah. A la mode is like one of my favorite corals. It's a good one. It's like white and coral. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, pink Caitlin's joy is a good one. Um, Judd likes lavender, lavender dandy, mm-hmm. um, which is a really fun lavender dandy. Yeah. Which is a really fun pink one too. Um, orange, Marn, Marn is like our go-to orange. It's like pumpkin orange. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love Cornell bronze for event work. I use a lot of Cornell bronze for event work cause it's kind of like a, 
deeper, more like rusty, like terracotta-y color, um, which I love. So I would say Marn and Cornell Bronze are two goodies. Rose Toscano. Uh, Rose, yes. Rose Toscano is beautiful. It's yes. a good one. It is. That's about one. the size of Pink Pearl. Um, Rose okay. Toscano has more of a like decorative shape almost. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it a ball, whereas Pink Pearl is very ball. Mm-hmm. So. Um, purple, um, Diva. I, I do. I love Diva. Um, Diva is a good one. Judd, I have to tell, say, Judd is cracking me up. He likes this one Dahlia that we got and it's kind of, it's purple, but he's been calling it raspberry ice. And so we have the extra tubers to sell this year. And I'm like listing all the tubers. I'm like, gosh, there's no Dahlia that exists. That's called raspberry ice. I'm like, what? trying to figure out what the heck this dahlia is it's actually blackberry ice (laughs) (laughs) so i figured it out that one is beautiful it's really it's fun it's a fun purple but blackberry ice people not raspberry ice (laughs) should have (laughs) known um and then red yeah brown sugar is a good one we use cornell too for our main Mm -hmm. red dahlia so that's a good one yeah okay all right um, best way to go about a tuber swap with other growers, just find some buddies. Yes. Don't be, don't be scared. Ask. Just reach out, ask yeah. them. Um, and just, you know, if they're starting out and you're starting out and you've got some varieties, just ask them and swap. Um, especially if you're close. Um, yes. but yeah, just ask them, put yeah. yourself out there. It's the best way I to, agree. best way to do it. You'll make some friends too. Yep. Or not if you have mislabels, but <laughs> they won't know till next year. <laughs> you could get them to trade once, but <laughs> yeah. you're burning bridges. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, can you cut your dahlias back after hard winds and still expect blooms? Um, I think it kind of depends where in the season you are. If it's early, yeah, for sure. I think you can just consider it a nice pinch. Um, but I think later in the season you're gonna you're gonna have a harder time for it coming back in time enough to to do anything for you. Mm-hmm. So someone asked, people seem to love or hate dahlias. I can see why they're love, but what are their drawbacks? Um I would say the biggest drawback to them is just their maintenance as far as yeah. the overall investment of time that it requires mm-hmm. to grow them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just because it's it's money, you know, time is money and and the resources, the cost. There's a lot of uh, fussing mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I call them the divas on the farm. Like, you know, if yeah. I had to give them a, a title, I just think they they are a diva. Uh, they require a lot of attention. So I would say that's probably probably the drawback, depending on what zone mm-hmm. you're in. I mean, like if you're in a super cold zone, you may not even be able to grow them. You're short, you know, your growing season is really short. You know, maybe you can't get them in the ground until late, you know, early June, mm-hmm. and then you get frost in October. So it's just like it's a lot of work for a short window of bloom. So I would say that was mm-hmm. it. That would be the main drawback. Yeah. Okay. I'm a new farmer. How many stems will one tuber give me a week? I ran this past my diet expert. Um, he claims, and I would agree with this, I think on pretty productive varieties, three, maybe four maximum would be like a little bit on the high side for one tuber. Um, to produce. And he said like, you know, black satin, if it's not a great producer, maybe one or two dinner plates, 
one to two, um, depending on how you know vigorous they are. I would definitely that's where he's like, you need to be fertilizing. I mean, you be keep keep the blooms coming, keep them deadheaded, which will be really important for you too, um, to so that they keep pumping out those blooms. Um, but yeah, I feel like the three to four is kind of a for us. That's a good general general statement. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're tracking, one of the things that we haven't really touched on much is uh, record keeping. Mm -hmm. And with harvesting, if you're tracking what you're pulling out of the field and you know how many plants that you um, have planted, you can look at what your actual harvest was for the year on an average per plant. You wouldn't know specifically for like a variety. Now, breakout is one that's like it just produces yeah. like it's a, you know, mm-hmm. medium decorative. That's another one that I, we haven't talked about that I really do like. Yeah, that's um, good. It's good. It just produces more stems than like cafe, for example. But you could take your shrink sheet, which shows like deadheads plus that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. then you would see that what your total number was. So, yeah, just some quick. But I'd say you're, that's good. Good answer on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Last question. And then we're not talking dahlias again for a bit. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, so the last question is starting out, should I do lots of a few or a few of a lot? And mm. I know. Good and question. Like, that is a really yeah. good question. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what would you say to that? I think it depends on who you're selling to. Um, like if you're going to do be doing weddings and florists, they're going to need like, can I have 40 whites, you know, and you need, need to have a lot of white. Um, but if you're doing markets, I don't know, market people, they yeah. love the variety of it. So I think it kind of depends on your customer. Yeah, that's a good answer. I wouldn't have thought back to like, who were you selling to? Because that really is what drives your Yes. What you, varieties you choose. That's why I don't mm-hmm. do as many dinner plates anymore. So yeah, if it was like you pick, it'd be like, yeah, yeah. just do a variety of them. So that's yes. a good answer. I won't yeah. I won't add to that. So okay. awesome. That's perfect. Oh, I know. Are we, we doubting it out? Holy no, cow. I mean, they're so great. They really are. And I think at the end of this, I, I just, I want people to feel encouraged to grow them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really absolutely. All right, guys. So thank you so much for sharing your feedback with us because we could not have done these episodes if it wasn't for you guys, like submitting no. the great questions. Um, yes. Because it just – your participation made this happen to get these questions answered because we obviously – we did two episodes and we thought we nailed it and we just did a third episode that said, <laughs> you missed some things, y'all. So um, appreciate it so much that you guys do participate. So be sure to join us here next Friday. Um, We are having our first on-air coaching call with one of our fellow listeners. So that'll be fun. Um, And if you're thinking, what? How how did they get an on-air coaching call? Well, um, each month, so through the end of the year, we're going to be picking one lucky dirt bag through our podcast review. So if you haven't left us a review yet, we would so appreciate it if you did that. Um, it just really gets our podcast into other people's earbuds. So we would just really appreciate the, the review. And then you might get a chance to chat with Shannon and I on air. So thank you guys so much for listening in. And we will see you here same time, same place. Bye for now. 